Yeah. Yeah, his goodness is running after you today. You can be seated for just a second. And let me tell you why it is. Because, you know, anybody can have a picnic when it's 75 and 80 degrees. But you, you, you're part of a group that's having one when it's 50 degrees. And you have choices. You can either go to the fellowship hall or you can go outside. And remember, when we get to the end of the sermon, you have choices. Because that's part of the sermon. You know, every, almost every week I think, man, this is the best sermon ever. <laughs> and this week is no exception. Would you stand with me? And uh, let's read a passage of Scripture together. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth and the power and the life that are in your word. And I pray that we would grab hold of it today and that it would be applied to the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Unity. And you've heard me say this before if you've been here anytime I've talked about it, but let's just go there again because it needs to be reiterated. Unity is not unanimity. In fact, unanimity is a boring myth. Unanimity is boring, and unanimity is a myth. You know, I've been around enough times to know that just because somebody raises their hand and votes yes doesn't mean that this yes is here. Okay, uh, let me say that again. Uh, Just because somebody raises their hand and says yes doesn't mean that yes is, is is in here. Uh, And so unanimity is not what we're talking about. And there are a couple of examples in the Scripture, first of all, that I want to give you that that really show what unity is. Uh, The 11th chapter of John is uh, is one of the more famous chapters. It's famous for a number of reasons. It's famous because it's where most people learn their first memory verse. Jesus wept. Uh, It's famous because of the... uh, uh, It's such a powerful line to hear Jesus declare in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Whoop. Okay, yeah. Let's sing that one again. Uh, It's also famous, rightly so, for I am the resurrection and the life. Wow, that's strong. But there is another say, there's there's another quote in that in that chapter, and it's not Jesus. That if you actually look at it and you and you begin to grasp what it means, it's just woo. And it's said by Thomas of all people, uh, the guy we call doubting Thomas of all people. And it's this: let's also go so that we may die with him. See, what had happened at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Jesus was, is with his, his disciples and he receives word that Lazarus, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus is sick. And uh, Jesus hangs out for a couple of days and then he, go, then, then he tells the disciples, he says, okay, let's go. We're, we're going go, to go back to Judea. We're going to go back near Jerusalem because uh, Lazarus is sick. Uh, and Thomas and the others didn't think this was a good idea. They didn't feel like it was a good idea to go back there. In fact, they said, well, Lord, the last, the last time you were there, a short while ago, you were there, and they, they tried to stone you. Uh, 
And we, you know, when people are throwing stones and you don't necessarily want to be standing next to the guy they're throwing stones at, they might throw stones at you as well. They go, this, this doesn't sound like this is a good idea. And Jesus says, well, the truth is Lazarus has fallen asleep. <gasps> oh, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get better. Jesus goes, he's dead. <laughs> you blockheads. And, and, and I'm glad that I wasn't there because, well, you'll see. And Thomas goes, let's go also and die with him. Though they did not agree with the decision, they did not leave Jesus. That's unity. That's what, that's what unity is. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he, he, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a mythology has grown up around this, this quote that... Uh, from, and it's from Psalm 22. It's the first verse of Psalm 22. Mythology has, has grown up claiming that the Father turned away from Jesus. Uh, in fact, it was actually in one of the lines today. Uh, you know, I'm not so hung up about this that we can't continue to sing that song, but it's actually, it's not true. It's not true. Father didn't turn away from Jesus at that point in time. It's dramatic to think that the father was not able to, to look upon sin. And when his son became sin, he had to turn. Nobody sees more sin than God. He sees it every second of every day, multiple times. Nobody has looked upon more sin than him. That, 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 that's not what happened at that point in time. It's dramatic to think that for the first time in, in, in all of eternity, the Father and the Son were separated from one another. But it's not possible. It's not true. It's not possible. That's not, that's not what happened. God did not abandon Jesus in the middle of a battle that he sent him to fight. That's not how our God rolls. That's not how that operates. In fact, Jesus told the disciples on the night before, he told them this, he says, the time is coming. In fact, it's here. It's already coming. When you will be scattered, each to your own home, they were. You will leave me all alone, but I'm not alone because my Father's with me. So don't, don't go thinking that, that I'm alone. So why did Jesus quote Psalm 22 here? Well, one part was to fulfill the Scripture, uh, but from a human standpoint, it appeared that Jesus had been abandoned. From a human standpoint, it appeared that, uh, that, that he was alone. The, the psalmist wrote this because he felt alone. Ever felt like God has abandoned you? If you haven't, you, you're, you, you, you just don't do much feeling. But yes, I mean, virtually all of us. And the psalmist, see, the, the psalmist didn't sit down and write this and go, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to write a prophetic psalm about the Messiah. No, he was in a funk when he wrote this himself. That's, that's why it was written. It turned out to be a psalm about the Messiah, but he didn't know that. He, she, whoever was writing it at the time. And also, 
it points to the end of the psalm. You see, Psalm 22 does not end with verse 1. Psalm 22 goes on. It's got, in fact, it's got over 30 verses in it. And and, and when you get to verse 22, uh, verse 24, it says this, for he has not despised our scorn, the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. So there goes that. He has listened to his cry for help. And then it ends up by finally saying, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. What starts out with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, ends up with, he has done it. And if you've ever felt forsaken by God, you need to understand, that's just a feeling. That that ain't nothing but a feeling. What ultimately happens is, (laughs) his righteousness will be proclaimed to future generations. He has done it. There are those... uh, well, let me back up one, one step here because we were talking about uh, unanimity agreement. You know, did, Jesus, did Jesus think it was a good idea to go to the, Did he want to go to the cross? No, no. I mean, he prayed. <laughs> you know, hey, let's, let's change the plan here. Would that be okay, Dad? Could, maybe this cup could pass from me. We could figure something else out. So he wasn't in unanimity necessarily, but he was in unity. There are those in your life, there are those that God has placed within your life with whom God has ordained that you should walk in unity. Not necessarily agreement, but that you're supposed, this is, this is who, this is, these are significant people in your life that you're to walk in, in unity with. Uh, we've co-opted the term significant other uh, to define a domestic relationship. But, uh, uh, but a, a domestic relationship where you don't really, you, it's not just a matter of you don't know what the gender is, you don't know what the relationship is, but it's what's happening now is basically what it is. But there are significant others that God has placed in your life, and, and they're very significant, substantial people. They aren't about how you're feeling for a few months or how you're feeling for a few weeks or a few days or even, even a few years. It's meant to be long-term connections in your, in your life. Um, this church is here today. We're having this picnic on this glorious, sunny, 50-degree day <laughs> uh, because of such connections that God has placed in my life. Now, in general... Uh, you know, those connections happen to be the support that I've received, we've received over the years uh, here at at the church because of, uh, but in specific, it's here because of the uh, guidance in a battle that took place almost 30 years ago that I didn't even know was a battle at the time. And uh, I don't know if I've ever, I don't know that I've actually ever shared this, at least not on a Sunday morning. I, I have, I've shared it in some private settings. And a few of you will know uh, who I'm talking about, but most of you won't, and we're going to keep it that way. Uh, back around 30 years ago, when we first uh, appointed elders here at the church, uh, we didn't have an eldership when I first came, but that's the kind of church government that 
that I, I believe in. And so we had, we had changed over to that. And the, first, uh, the first elders that we were going to have were going to be Bruce Coble and Wade Hutchison and Mr. A and Mr. B. Uh, we, shall, we shall refer to them. And uh, I'm a trusting soul. I, I am a trusting person. I, I, I really am. I, I, I believe in people. I try to look for the good in them. I want to want to see the good come out of them. And that's just, that's who I am. And sometimes I look stupid, uh, but other times, you know, it, it works out pretty well. And uh, so I'll just have to look stupid at, at sometimes. Uh, and I thought Mr. A was a real, was a real friend. In fact, I, uh, I thought he was going to be one of those significant others uh, in my life, one of those significant people that God had had put into my life. And uh, I didn't have as much confidence in Mr. B, but 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 uh, but I liked him, and he was real close to Mr. A, and uh, uh, and I thought there was a lot of potential there. So they were two of the four elders that we were going to have. And a couple of weeks before it was going to be official who the elders were, Mr. A comes to me, and he uh, uh, he comes to me and he, and he insists that I hold off on appointing Wade Hutchison as an elder. Uh, there were some things happening in, 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 in Wade's life. It was, it was a difficult period in Wade's life. I didn't feel like they disqualified him from being, a, uh, from being an elder by any means. Uh, that's why we were going to appoint him, but... Uh, uh, but it was, I, I, I had to agree that, okay, this might not be the best time for him, uh, for us to do this. So I, uh, I acquiesced and, and I delivered the news to Wade. Love that man. God say, I love that man. And, and he is one of those people that God has put in my life for, oh, 40 years now, uh, over 40 years. It's been very significant in a, in a, in a number of different ways. And he's a true friend. And, you know, one of the ways that you know that somebody's a true friend is if you go to them and you give them some news that isn't necessarily great news and you have the power to change it, but you feel like this is the way it is, and they're still your friend. That's big. And uh, so I, I, you know, I went away and he received this very graciously. However, he did warn me about Mr. A. He didn't feel like maybe I had the right read on this. And, uh, and not only did Wade warn me, actually the most significant other uh, that God has put in my life, uh, Margaret also uh, had, uh, had, had similar warnings, but I'm, I'm, I'm going, no, you guys, you just don't, you don't understand. You don't, you don't get it. So we'll just, we'll just move on. Uh, well, this, this other brother who was at the church at the time and who's been very significant in my life, he's one of those people that uh, I don't see him very much anymore, but he's one of those people that you can be gone for years and you sit down and just pick up where the conversation left off. You know, it's, it's that kind of man, man named Sam, Sam Watson. And uh, Sam called me up that evening and invited me to lunch. And, uh, you know, you want to invite me to lunch? I'll come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, Sam invites me to lunch, and, and I go to lunch with him. And it turns out that the, the day before, he had had lunch with Mr. A, who had laid out his plan for Sam. 
because Sam, Sam was at the church at the time and probably the most co- significant contributor. And so Mr. A felt like he needed to bring him into the loop. And the loop was this. If Wade's not appointed, there'll only be three elders, Mr. A, Mr. B, and Bruce Coble. And so our first act of business will be to remove the senior pastor and make Mr. A the senior pastor. Go, that's interesting. And so Sam tells me this. And so the next day, we actually, I I had a a gathering with the three of them, Bruce and and the other two brothers. Uh, We had started meeting on a weekly basis, gathering for prayer. And and I told Mr. A, I said, uh, I love you, but I can't have you as an elder. Uh, We're not going to be able to do that right now. And I didn't, I didn't bring up the plan. I didn't bring up why. I figured if he wanted to talk about that, we'll talk about it. But uh, in one way, it was kind of a test. Wade passed his. Mr. B, Mr. A, heard me say that, got up, walked out of the room, and has never walked back in this building since. And I went, hmm, what? I got that one wrong. Uh, And, you know, Mr. B left shortly thereafter with him. You may go, well, now maybe Mr. A should have been the pastor. I mean, you know, you hadn't done done all that great all the time yourself. (laughs) Uh, But I'm just saying there's no such thing as unanimity, people. Uh, But uh, I know of at least three churches that, 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 that that man has gone to since then. Two of them were... Were, were kind of startups, and he was going to help start them up, and they both, none of them lasted a year. And then the other was one of the strongest churches in town, and he ended up on the board, and let's just say it ain't the strongest church in town anymore. It, it, it's, it's, had, it's had some serious issues, conflict. Had I broken unity with those that God had put in my life who I knew were significant people, that God had, had, had placed there for me to walk with and to walk alongside of me. Had I broken unity with, with them, things would, I believe, have unfortunately been very different from what they have become. And that is, that is often the case. I didn't necessarily agree with them, at least not until I had lunch with Sam, but, but I was kind of going, mm, boy, this, you know, I, I, I certainly was being given pause. If you don't have such people in your life, if you can't think of anybody in your life who fits that category, something's wrong. And you need to ask yourself why. Because God's put them there. One one verse I want you to consider and maybe see in a little bit different light. Over in Genesis, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I'm not saying that this isn't about marriage. This, This is about marriage. But not everybody's married. Not everybody's going to get married. And there's a universal truth here. It's not good for us to walk alone. God doesn't intend for us to walk alone. Uh, <clears throat> when we go into battle, we, we love some of the verses of Scripture, some of the battle promises, uh, I, I call them. We go into the battle with these promises, and, and we could and should claim these promises you know, individually for ourselves, 
but, but they're collective. They're, they're virtually always collective when they're given. Probably our, our most favorite one is, is Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me. That's great. You know, cl- claim that. But he spoke that to a nation. He didn't speak it to the prophet. He didn't speak it to this one or to this king. This was, this was for the servants of the Lord, which, by the way, is, I believe, a plural pronoun. Servants. Yeah. If not, I'll be corrected by either my daughter or Rhonda Frazier after the service is over. But yeah. it, it, it's a plural thing. It, it, it's more than one person. And then over in 1 John 5, 4, it says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Uh, not my faith, our faith, you see. Yeah, yes, I must embrace the faith for, for myself, but I didn't receive it, nor do, I, nor do I exercise it in a vacuum. There are people who died to deliver it to me. There are people who sacrificed to implant it in me. Uh, obviously, my parents, but there were Sunday school teachers who sacrificed their time and, and, sac- and, and, and sacrificed their frustrations dealing with a precocious, hyperactive, very intelligent kid uh, <laughs> to, to teach this and, and put the faith in me, to pass it on to me at the time. Even Jesus had others with him at the cross. In, in, the, in the midst of the greatest battle that was ever fought, there, there were others. The, the women were there. They're, the women are there. You know, the men, the men will take off sometimes, but, but, the, but, but the women are there. Can I get an amen? Okay, I thought I could. It's kind of high-pitched, but I, but I got it. <laughs> and let me just say, being there is usually more important than what you have to say. I don't think anybody at the cross said, hey, Jesus, it's going to be okay. We're, you know, we're... No, but they were there. And you know that had to make a difference for him. In fact, he was able to pass on the care of his mother to, to John. One of the guys was there anyway. Able to pass on the care of his mother to, to John, which that had to make a difference for him. Okay, why hasn't the gospel been embraced by the whole world. I mean, who, who would turn down this offer? Who would turn down the offer that believe on Jesus and you will have eternal life? Yeah, really, what? what? No, that's it. Believe on Jesus and you will have eternal life. Who turned that down? Uh, well, I think the reason why it hasn't been embraced by the whole world yet is kind of made clear by by Jesus here in chapter 17, his, his prayer. So my prayer is not for them alone, his disciples in meaning. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I grew up um, knowing that certain 
uh, groups were exclusive, thinking we're the only ones. Nobody else is, nobody else is saved. It's, it's just us. And, uh, of course, we didn't think that way, except uh, we did know that the Roman Catholics weren't saved. Um, no possibility of that. In fact, I, I, I know a brother who kind of grew up in the same camp, was in the same camp, and he was telling me one time that uh, he, had, he went to India. He went to India, and he met Mother Teresa. And he wanted to meet Mother Teresa because he wanted to find out if she was saved. And he asked her, he said, you know, how, how are you saved? How is a person saved? And uh, she said, uh, apparently, what, what he said was, it's through Mary, and walked off. And he went, oh, she's not saved. Now, I don't believe it's through Mary, but I do believe that Mother Teresa is saved. I think she probably went to heaven. Uh, I suspect I suspect there's a good good chance of that. But we knew that the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox. I mean, what even are they? Can can you be saved and do church in a robe? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess you can. We had serious doubts about the Presbyterians. Then I married one. Uh, <laughs> we actually didn't have any doubts about the Methodist. We knew, you know. They're just Protestant Catholics is what they are. And we even had some doubts about the Baptist if they smoked. <laughs> and the truth is, we sort of had doubts about each other occasionally. <laughs> you know, we weren't too sure that some of the people that actually went to our church were, were going to make it either. Uh, Oftentimes we fit the description. I was reading a description uh, going through a book with, with some of the guys here in the church uh, that Eugene Peterson wrote. And one of the, one of the I mean, it's just full of yellow marks where I'm going. But one of the yellow marks is, was Peterson saying this When I looked around me and observed churches in competition with one another for their share of the religious market, hiring pastors to provide religious goods and services for a culture of God consumers, I wanted nothing to do with it. Boy, boy, does that sting. Boy, is that, is that true? Instead of, instead of competing and, and tearing each other down, if we just walked in unity. If we just walked in, in unity, not unanimity. We don't have to agree on all the doctrinal points. But if we just walked in unity, we could accomplish in short order, God could accomplish in short order, what we haven't been able to accomplish over centuries with billions of dollars. Jesus said if we were brought to unity, two things would happen to the world. One of the things is they would believe that Jesus was sent from God. Whole world. See the unity? They go, oh, Jesus must be from God. He must be the one. And they would believe that God loves them. And whenever you are witnessing, whenever you're sharing with somebody, the two big obstacles that you have is getting them to believe that actually Jesus did come from God 
and getting them to believe that God actually could love them. If the world believed those two things, if if we started out with the world believing those two things, if that was our starting point, how hard do you think it would be to get people to go, you want to believe in Jesus and have eternal life? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You're here on a day when it's 50 degrees and you can go to the Fellowship Hall or you can go outside. I'm going outside. I brought a coat. You have a choice and unity is a choice. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? The King James Version had an unfortunate uh, translation of this. It, it, It said, can two walk together except they be agreed. And so it kind of left open the idea of, well, if you don't agree with somebody, you can't walk with them. But that's not at all the sense of this verse. In fact, Eugene Peterson in his, in his translation, the message, says it this way, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? We're going to the same place? Let us go also that we may die with Him. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't agree with it. I don't necessarily agree with all your doctrine. I I don't believe it's through Mary. You know, I I don't believe you have to be water baptized. So you should be. If you're not, you're just a rebellious kid in the house. You know, I I don't agree that that you speak in tongues. I, I don't agree, you know. But I am called to walk in unity with you. In unity. We only have to be agreed that we're going to the same place. We only have to be agreed that being called to walk in unity... Now there are times, there are some that you cannot walk with. Some, when it comes to fundamental doctrines, I mean, I can't walk in unity with someone who goes, well, you know, Jesus really wasn't the Son of God, you know, or He didn't really come, and, you know, God. There, there, you know, He wasn't really raised from the dead. Now, you know, there's some that places you can't go. But most of the stuff that separates us is so peripheral. And if we would just lay it down, and walk together, then like the disciples who didn't agree but followed Jesus, we'd see some incredible stuff. We'd see Lazarus raised from the dead. Oh, and then everything would just be great. No, it's actually a pretty tough week ahead of them, but boy, it was a week to not be missed. Had a triumphal entry in it. Had a Last Supper. Had a crucifixion had a resurrection. But if we're not going to walk in unity, we won't be there to see that stuff. I love you guys. I'm learning to love you guys. Well, those who are going to serve at the table, uh, come forward and the worship team come out. Yeah. I told you it's a good sermon. Just saying it was. I'm not tooting my own horn or anything. I just... <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> But it's something that can change your life. 
understand, I'm not necessarily talking so much about, hey, you know, you need to feel like other churches. Of course you need to feel like other churches. There are people in your life God has called you to walk in unity with. And in some cases, you're not doing it. It's hurting you. It's hurting the kingdom. It's hurting them. You don't have to agree to walk in unity. 